Pro TV, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Access over 2,000 hours of up-to-date, high-quality video content live and on-demand via Chromecast, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, PC, or your mobile device. IT Pro TV's premium membership grants access to all courses, transcripts, virtual machine labs, and Transcender practice exams. Corporate and group pricing are available. For a free 7-day trial and 30% off the life of your account, visit itpro.tv forward slash security weekly and use the code SW30. Has your network been breached? Cyber Reason can help you answer this question. Cyber Reason products hunt for threats within your network and eliminate them in real time. To Cyber Reason, real time means within seconds. Founded by former military hackers who don't play by the rules, they've built this experience into their platform. Harness ingenuity and imagination, not just code, to defeat hackers. Cyber Reason. Disrupt the adversary and let the hunt begin. NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email contact at netsparker.com. Onapsis, the leading provider of solutions to protect ERP systems from cyber attacks. Customers can secure their SAP and Oracle business critical platforms from espionage, sabotage, and financial fraud risks. Visit them on the web at onapsis.com. We're back with the security news for this evening, or whenever you happen to be listening or, or watching uh, this program. Uh, I Jack had to drop off. I want to say that I, I think I've pretty much mastered the Negroni. Pretty damn good. It came up pretty good. It did. And I want to ask let's, him. Like, let's see it. I, I used I used gin. I don't know if he was substituting for bourbon in some of his. Um, so, so Paul, does this mean that we just sort of don't need Jack sometimes, but we still love him? No, his Negronis are way better than mine still, but I made one that was actually <laughs> drinkable as my, my crowning <laughs> yes. achievement oh, okay, before they okay. were just the gone bar, off. The bar was much, much lower. Yes. It's like I, I passed the drinkable phase. Okay, okay that's good. Everyone's that's good. like, the, the bar looks so sparse. There's not enough booze at the bar. I'm like, there's totally enough to make a cocktail. I'm like, yeah, we got so you, everything we need to make Negroni. You've got like four weeks to get that bar restocked before episode 500. It That's may take right. me four weeks to stock the bar well enough for episode 400. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 500, Cause, cause rather. We're coming, actually, I suspect the morning of the ninth uh, um, may well be several runs to the uh, appropriate retail outlets to... Uh, you know, help uh, beef things up appropriately. We'll have, or the um, day before. I'll be there the day before. I can. I can do the liquor run. Excellent, uh, Jeff. We could. Uh, we should talk because uh, I'll be flying in on the eighth as well. So nice. All right. Yeah. yeah. Bloody Marys in the morning. But Larry, you're not a Bloody Mary person, though. No, but I can find someone appropriate. You can find a morning drink. Absolutely. I mean, bourbon is just great. <laughs> Any time of day. Doug and I were talking about dipping bacon in bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's not a manly breakfast oh. drink. There is the uh, bur- what did we have at Circle City Con a couple years ago? It was a Jack it was a Jack Daniel bourbon bacon infused Jack Daniel or Jim Beam. It can be done. I actually have bacon infused vodka that I was going to use for Bloody Mary's. Oh, I've so had that good. and I didn't good. like it. Didn't like it. We'll figure something out. I have Absolutely. bacon, bacon flavored bourbon, and it's fucking awful. <laughs> well, um, D Link is actually getting sued for not securing yeah, their routers. This is this is interesting really? in that it's uh, kind of groundbreaking, isn't it? 
Uh, it is. Uh, the FTC actually uh, on Thursday uh, sued Taiwan in a federal court um, alleging that D-Link routers and webcams left thousands of consumers at risk to hacking attacks. So just when Bruce Schneier and others were like, we need regulations, we need the federal government to do something, uh, the FTC has stepped up and actually filed suit. Now, I find it interesting. I find it interesting that no one else added the story. I thought you would for sure. Mm. The other story about um, guess who's got a bug bounty now through Bug Crowd? Is it D Link? Netgear. So I don't know if Netgear caught wind that the FTC oh. was suing D Link and said, crap, we should like do something about this and y- show what, the I world think, that. I- yeah, I think that is an excellent response, though, regardless of how they came upon it. I mean, why not? I mean, we, we've been sitting on the show saying, look, guys, come on, let's get it together. That's great. I, I mean, I don't know. Did, am I being naive, Paul? What do you think? Well, it's very limited to a certain specific set of Netgear routers uh, and uh, wireless access points. Uh. It's only the latest firmware. Uh, and bug bunnies go from 100 to $15,000. Um, 150 uh, to fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. What did I say? Right. You said a hundred to fifteen thousand. A uh, hundred dollars to fifteen thousand dollars. Sorry for neck year. One hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, one hundred and fifty dollars is the minimum. Is yep. the minimum. Yeah. Um, it's very structured. I was glad that Neckier actually worked with with Bug Crowd on this. Mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was a great uh, way to do it. Um, however, it is limited. It's also limited to the all of the latest firmware on Neckier routers, which is interesting. But still, I kind of was like. Can I just spend the day looking at the latest Netgear firmware? Like, maybe if I find a few bugs, I can like I can make some serious dough. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a, a whole what process. I've, but what I've found, Paul, I you know, I've I've actually tried to engage in some of the bug bounty stuff, um, and and I found that a lot of companies tend to put very heavy restrictions around mm. their their bug bounty uh, programs to the point where they're not like your typical pen test. Uh, you know, if you dig into them, you, oh. you find yourself having to really work for um, traction, uh, and it, it's a significant challenge. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it, um, I think, it, it, from a pen testing perspective, it kind of, it's, it's almost like the rules of engagement are so tight you can barely move. Um, yeah, I anyway. didn't see that in the neck here. I mean, they did put all of the firmware for those devices in scope. Um, yeah, which looking oh, well, that's good. And looking looking at the bug crowd stuff, it is it it appears to me to be significantly more detailed towards their uh, video monitoring and their video stuff. Less about their access points, but there's more two, about their video. There's two Nighthawks in there, though. There are two uh, there are. later revisions of the Nighthawks. And the, and the Orbi, but easily half of it is related to their wireless. But if you look out what they're paying and the payout and the expected outcomes, um, most of that is against their cloud infrastructure. Um, yes, they put their cloud infrastructure in scope for their wireless yep. uh, gear, which is <clears throat> yep. very interesting. So, looking at it, open redirection, SQL injection on firmware, web management, client apps, uh, CSERF against admin interface, cross-site scripting for users on cloud infrastructure, not firmware web manager uh, web apps, SQL injection on cloud infrastructure, uh, complete customer database with name, email, address, password, and products owned, single customer payment information, all 
customer payment information, 16-digit credit card numbers, and CVV, unauthorized access to a single Netgear customer cloud storage video, unauthorized access to a single Netgear customer live video feed, remote unauthorized access to administer another Netgear's customer router yeah, via, the public accessibly, uh, via the publicly accessible internet. Mm. Authorized, uh, unauthorized access to live video feeds on all Netgear customers and unauthorized access to Netgear cloud storage videos files for all customers. The other interesting thing is the, the FTC uh, apparently 11 months ago settled with ASUS over its insecure routers and uh, attackers to remotely mm. log into them. Also, the uh, the current claim against D-Link says defendants repeatedly have failed to take reasonable software testing and remediation measures to protect their routers and IP cameras against well-known and easily preventable security software flaws, which speaks volumes to Netgear's move to open their stuff up to a bug bounty program. Either maybe they're talking to the FTC or in anticipation of the FTC coming after them uh, for, for similar things like they did against Asus and D-Link, which... I mean, all of this is not, I mean, it's not the way that you'd like it to see it panned out, but it goes to show that federal agencies putting pressure on companies is absolutely one way to make sure that we uh, get some security in these devices. Yep. Yeah, so I, I sort of see it as the stick, not the carrot, right? Mm -hmm. it's, uh, right, exactly. This is, this is, this is the stick. Um, it's unfortunate, like you said, Paul, that it, that it has to happen this way or, or has happened this way, but... Um, but either way, you know, I think we'll get there, and, and it is definitely an, a positive, in, in, overall, I think, a positive direction. I got a question for probably Jeff and Larry. How often are you guys uh, encountering these types of routers, devices? Uh, how often, when you encounter them in your pen test, are you doing more than, uh, are you exploiting some sort of bug versus you're, you're just exploiting because you've got the default password? Or there is no password. Yeah, that's, 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 that's uh, I guess I'll jump in there first. Um, first of all, for your first question, uh, not often. Um, it could be just the kinds of tests that I've been doing in the last six months or so that I really haven't encountered uh, these sort of um, small office, home office kind of devices. And and I think that's largely because of the customers that, that I'm working with. Um, so that really obliviates the second question. Uh, that doesn't mean we haven't encountered them, though. There are tests we've encountered them, uh, and uh, quite often there's there's some uh, first sort of uh, level of entry is often uh, some sort of web app vulnerability in an outward-facing management interface. Yeah. So and uh, so, so over the ladder. Yeah, Larry. so Jeff, <laughs> I, I will find that we're very much the same. We find very few of them now, and again, that may be just to the level of our customers. Um, but we used to find them with some some regularity in in enterprise networks, and most of the time, smaller enterprise networks. Um, but uh, but I'd argue that there were very few times, unless this was the only way in, that we were doing anything with these routers aside from saying, "What the hell are you doing at using this piece of crap in here?" Um, this is not enterprise-grade gear. You need to think about something else, even yeah, if it's a small installation. How, how often does enter, uh, gear in the enterprise, it's not home office gear, uh, to extend Jeff's question, but how often do you find other 
embedded systems or you know, more likely than not, it's an embedded system, right? It's right, the, the right. ILO interface or whatever on your uh, server or something like that or a printer, right? Those devices are still oh, yeah. in the oh, enterprise, oh, yeah, yeah. not necessarily the home, yeah. the home, the home gear is, but yeah, embedded, not to the embedded, embedded stuff, something like ILO, yeah, we're, we're all over that. Yeah. But, you know, something like a D-Link right. router or a Netgear router, um, so we're much. either not finding them nearly as much as we used to or um, if they've got that stuff in their environment, they typically have larger problems that we're trying to address as opposed to yeah. know, trying to exploit. Well, just, despite it, it, Paul's it, attempt to pivot, what I, the point what I was trying to get at, and you guys you know, kind of confirmed my suspicion, th- this is almost falls into our ongoing discussion of the Internet of Things as it pertains to the consumer landscape. You know, maybe it's small companies, small enterprises, small businesses as well, but... uh, Not not entirely, uh, Jeff. You know, I I, I will say that there are small operations, small branch office kind of, um, like mom-and-pop outfits, to use sort of a cliche term, where we have discovered them and the other context and that that's sort of from the external network context the other context we have discovered these devices is um the you know the straight up rogue access point uh scenario yeah yeah yeah. The other one I will say that uh, even for the, some of these smaller shops that, that I've seen, um, the availability of enterprise-grade or enterprise-like gear that comes from some of these better, the more consumer-focused stuff has gotten much better over the year. Like, think about some of the Ubiquiti stuff and the, the, the Orbi and, Paul, what's some of the stuff that you're using at home? I actually use Ubiquity to, uh, at home. Uh, so Right, which is more, that stuff is more tailored to a small small to medium-sized business. In fact, I know else. consultants that do a lot for small businesses. And exactly. uh, my friend Bobby is actually a huge fan of the Ubiquity gear yep. for, um, you know, small restaurants and mm-hmm. retail places uh, as well. And the the availability, the price, and the quality of that gear has significantly mm. changed the landscape, I think. And, you know, I think we talked about this on the, on the show before, specifically to wireless. There's a lot of the Netgear D-Link, Lynx's Asus stuff that comes off the shelf. When you want to take a step up from that, now, like people, I think are missing that middle step of ubiquity because mm. user, you know, user uh, um, ease of use is not so much there in mm-hmm, ubiquity mm-hmm. stuff. But there's all these newer, newfangled things like the one from Google. Uh, there's the one e- Eero. Eero's the other one. So they're much more expensive than ubiquity. Yep. But claim to solve a lot of the problems and be. More, easy to manage, easy to manage, but more give you more of that enterprise kind of feel. Um, Security wise, I'm not sure where they fall. They're oh. kind of new to market. Um, I'm not sure if Netgear's Aereo, whatever they're calling it, is a similar Orb- play Orb- to that. Orbi, Orbi, sorry, Orbi. I Orbi? Think it is. Yeah, I think it's interesting in the wireless market. Um, you know, we're we're, uh, we're seeing scenarios whereby people have you know just houses, consumers, that are big enough that, that, that throwing <laughs> up one AP is just not going to do it. Um, and, um, you know, for that reason, <laughs> I, I'm kind of a sick puppy, but I use a, uh, a, a Cisco virtual wireless controller on my ESX server, and I just buy used Cisco APs off, off of eBay. But um, And I've got like three or four of them in the house and, and, and got PoE, but... But I'm kind of a sick puppy um, in that respect. I yeah, Ubiquiti is pretty similar, Joff. You can, they're all PoE devices, and they give you software to manage them. And, and, and I think that what's driven that largely is the number of devices in the home. And not just the number of devices, mm. but the requirements that 
everyone wants to stream Netflix and Amazon and all this other oh, stuff right. and have Alexa devices. So now your wireless requirements at home go above and beyond that $50 AP that you had before. Mm-hmm. That's right. One AP in the corner is just not going to do it in the corner of, you know, your laundry room or something. It's just not enough coverage and it's not enough, uh, you know, so you need the intelligent handoff stuff. You need, you need to be out of room. Uh, and, you know, probably two or three APs in somebody's house is typically what's going to happen these days. So it'd be interesting um, when they start building homes, uh, today and just, Building wireless right into the home, like oh, it's like well, elect- it'll be like yeah. electricity. I think it'll just be in the home. You know that that is an interesting point because it's uh, people certainly treat internet connectivity that way, and so the expectation is absolutely there. I think the cost of running Ethernet jacks like you would run phone jacks, um, you probably want to skip over that entire step and just be like, well. Instead of having 10 runs to all the different rooms and spots in the house, we'll just make three runs and bring them back to a, a separate point and cover it with three APs. And there's just a done. standard blueprint that, yep. you know, a standard system that, that people have, and they are off to the races. So, yep. anyway, let's talk politics. Uh, yeah. Why not? Uh, more politically, <laughs> tra- you know, politically uh, related to politics, oh I gosh, should say. Uh, the NSA has given more ability to share raw intelligence uh, data. So, uh, President Obama, which I, I think it's interesting is that after the Snowden leaks happened, uh, and Jeff, you and I were talking about this, I think, last week, right? There was um, uh, yep. laws or regulations that were put into place to reduce the ability of the NSA to essentially spy on, on uh, people's information in the United States. However, President Obama has changed the rules regarding the raw intelligence is how NSA shares that data with other the other U.S.'s 16 other intelligence uh, agencies. Mm. Uh, basically, most analysts that are commenting on this are pretty much what Bruce and I are saying is that from a privacy perspective, this feels like a really bad idea to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let me ask you a philosophical question. Anybody can pipe in. Uh, we know about the type of information that's collected about us or the typical consumer user uh, on the internet, especially if we're using things like Facebook or you know various social media outlets, Google. Um, why are we more concerned that the government might capture certain information about us that some of, some of us might say is somewhat innocuous versus uh, you know, some of the major social media companies or, or you know, internet providers and so forth? I, I sure, have, I, I'll, I mean, I'll take I, that one. So, and, and I'll also have an answer to that. Okay, so uh, it, it's that whole thing with privacy. So... As long as if I'm giving you my data or I'm willingly putting that on a social media outlet, if I know who's seeing that data, how it's being used, then I can make an informed decision. I think the concern when the government gets involved is mm. you may not know what data they're collecting, how they're collecting it, how they're using it, or who they're sharing it with. Um, and, and I think that fuels some of the the concern jeff and and certainly i you know i i think i see your point jeff is that if you're an individual you have a facebook account you have a twitter account and you're sharing information out publicly if a government agency like the nsa is collecting all of that public information and analyzing mm-hmm. it then that's then you know well, okay that's fine it's i've made pub- the decision to share it publicly i've read facebook's sure. privacy profile yep. and understood but 
if the government or Facebook or some other third party has access to that data without my knowledge, without my knowledge or access or to more access of that data without, that data without my knowledge, without my knowledge. Um, maybe what I've marked as private isn't necessarily private, then right. that's where the privacy concerns are, are coming from. Right, and and I, I think maybe a little bit different from Lee. For me, you talk about the types of those communications, the the public stuff you post to Facebook that everybody can see, and you put it on Twitter, and, and all of those types of things. But something like maybe my Google search terms, um, you know, or a instant message conversation, a Facebook messenger conversation between Paul and I, um, not being quote public. Um, great, let Facebook mine that data and then serve them ads based on that. But when it's some uh, a law enforcement agency potentially that's that's getting to, um, that becomes a little bit of a change in the scenario. Let's say I, I'm asking Paul for. Uh, Paul, I uh, I need some. Uh, I need a fully automatic weapon. Can you get me one? Facebook probably doesn't have a lot of duty to report that if it's via instant message. But if all of a sudden that gets turned over to the NSA or something of the like, um, then well, that's a little bit different story. They're going to use that to tailor a profile against me. That's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So I think it it ends up you know being about the type of data that's being accessed and used and who has a right to report and and how some prosecution might happen so, just a thought so one comment back you know we're not normal we're not the typical internet user social media user uh, and probably most of our listening audience is not what i would call <laughs> mm -hmm. the typical user yeah um you know, let's say you're Googling automatic weapons and then all of a sudden you start seeing ads for automatic weapons. You know, there, there's so much information that's captured about us that most of the public doesn't really understand what's being captured about them. You know, we have some more awareness of that. And, and to some degree, then, that gives us the responsibility and that's why we're concerned about it and, and why we advocate for or against it against it but but um i still have this this sort of uh fundamental philosophical issue with uh, the, and maybe it's because i worked for the dod but you know what's the what's i don't see a huge difference between the government capturing information about me versus all these companies uh out there on the internet that are capturing information about me uh, I, I don't see a whole big difference. Either it's all good or it's all bad. I live with it or I don't. Well, the the different the big difference is that you could uh, be prosecuted by the Depend, federal depending government. Depending on who gets it, yeah. Depending not on who as gets likely it. that you know Facebook is not a, a law enforcement organization, for example. And I think that's some of what's fueling it. Right, right. and that was uh, that was sort of my take. Again, who's gonna, who has mm -hmm. the information and what their responsibility to act is. Now, granted, there are certain things that. Facebook and such would be required to act upon, you know, child pornography right, and so forth. Right. Um, but, but other things you know, they but may not. Emails and phone calls too are separate from what you're sharing on social media, yep. and there should be some kind of process in our laws that Jeff could fill you in on because I suck at that about <laughs> you know wiretapping laws, uh, issuing warrants, and things of that nature that mm -hmm. the government agencies have to go through a process yep. in order to do that. And I think there's a lot of gray area in terms of all that information that we have. Like, should a phone call be treated as an email, be treated as what I mark as private on Facebook? Are all those treated equally? Mm. Do they require the same or similar processes for a government agency to obtain those in support of an investigation. Yeah, you know, that's that's 
that's sort of a whole different uh, can of worms to open up, Paul. Uh, you know, telecoms that are providing our mobile devices, which mm-hmm. you know these days are not only not only are are they and have they been doing all along, capturing all your your phone call information, not necessarily recording the call, but, but certainly your, your phone records, right? Your phone records, mm-hmm. you know, who you've yeah, called, who, you know, the metadata. That's all always been captured and that data has been there for law enforcement to gain access to with a warrant you know, typically with a warrant with Correct. a court order but you know these days it's you know and for great reasons and maybe not so great reasons they're also tracking you most of the time because you've got gps built into your phone yep and you know is our very movements uh, consi- you know part of a privacy issue i think most of us would say yes Yes, and I, I would advocate for the same level of process that government agencies have to get a warrant to get access to the phone records. Um, there is certainly a fairly well-established process for that. But like you're alluding to, Jeff, there's now, with technology, all these other things that are being collected about us, and where do they fall in the process? Some of them might be falling outside of the scope where they don't they don't need a warrant. So I, but, I think it's an interesting But I issue. guess my point is, though... Um, you know, just in terms of mobile cell phone data, that data has always been captured by the telecom providers. So you have a certain type of organization that's capturing it, which in and of itself is a privacy issue. Whether it gets turned over to the government, you know, law enforcement or intelligence agencies that may or may not be able to prosecute you is a different level. But why are we okay with the data being captured at any level by any type of organization? You know, what, you know, all right, prosecution, that's one answer. But, uh, you know, beyond that, what are the reasons why we, why we worry about it with the government and why we don't worry about it with other types of companies that simply just want to get our money? Mm. Um, the other uh, politically uh, kind of related story was that President-elect Donald Trump has selected a director of Homeland Security. Did I get that right? Secretary of Homeland Security. John, That's right. John F. Kelly. Um, and largely without uh, a whole boatload of criticism and bipartisan support, which is it, so, it, I think relates to our field, uh-huh, certainly, uh-huh. as the Secretary of Homeland Security. Certainly, we'll have interactions with our field and the general cyber drink security uh, of the nation. <laughs> so, Paul, just for your edification, when the title is Secretary, that means it's a cabinet-level position. Okay, what does that mean, Jeff? Enlighten us. They have they they work in the kitchen with cabinets. Yeah, yeah. They they work make, with cabinets. Does that mean they make cabinets? What is? That? <laughs> usually, usually they're they're wooden. They're they're made of oak, <laughs> yes, cherry. Exactly. No, sometimes it, they have solid doors. Sometimes glass doors. Sometimes they don't have any doors at all. I gotcha. Yeah. What what I think Jeff really means, unless I'm mistaken, is executive branch level. Cabinet. It's executive branch. It's close. You know, the, the cabinet is what the close advisors, the heads of all the different departments. Uh, I don't even, you know, I honestly admit, I don't know how many cabinet level positions there mm. are these days because they seem to make them up as they go along. Sometimes. Right. right. You know, certainly the Department of Homeland Security didn't exist mm, 17 years ago. Correct. Make sure you get that that marker right. Mm. That's that's 2001. Right. Um, well, I could probably have said right. 16 years ago and, and right. been safe because yeah. uh, 9-11 and, happened in September. 
And here in case we, you didn't know, Paul. And and here we got the furner <laughs> that giving, us, uh, giving us civics lessons. Here. <laughs> and no, wait, I had to take the but test. But Joff had to take the test. So. <laughs> he probably knows more than all of us about civics and government. Yep. Well, you know what, what was really funny, and I'll tell the story very briefly. I, I did take the test in 2007, I think it was, maybe 2008. So it's been several years, but... So th there's 150 questions um, that you have to study up on in civics to take the immigration test in the United States. And they select 10 random questions to ask you. And um, as a part of that test, there's an English competency um, measurement. I don't know what exactly that is exactly. I mean, just, just that you have to be able to speak English, which... American, American English. American English, right? Yeah. So what was amusing to me is they chose the 10 questions. They were Mickey Mouse, you know, questions like how many uh, members of Congress are there? How many senators are there in the Senate? If the president is killed, what's the, you know, order of succession? Those kinds of questions. And then the English competency test was given to me and by a Russian speaker who could barely speak English herself. <laughs> 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 which I found incredibly amusing. So there it is. <laughs> but getting back to Paul's point, yes, I think the, the <laughs> secretary of the Department of Homeland Security is probably a position that would interest our community. So what do you have to say about it? Uh, sure. No, I, that's all I did was the article that's didn't it. say much else that, that that was the appointment and that largely there was no controversy around it, which is why we don't have much to comment on because mm. there hasn't been commentary on it. The media hasn't, uh, you know, thrown rocks at it, and it has some bipartisan support, according to the article, which could be good. I don't know. Yep. could be bad. So yeah, I was going to say speculatively <clears throat> that that's potentially good, right? right. At a point mm -hmm. that is bipartisan support and mm. uh, solidly people are behind it, then that's a good thing. Yep. You know, it's good to see. The other article that's politically charged, which I'm, which I was just laughing about because I yeah. saw you googling, <laughs> googling either, words in the, here, yeah. googling so, either the meaning of or the pronunciation, uh, both. <laughs> Chelsea Manning. He was googling uh, the pronunciation of, of of speculative. No, get this. <laughs> Chelsea Manning is on President Barack Obama's shortlist for commutation. Commutation, which is yeah. go back to Google and look at the pronunciation again. Commu commute. Commutation. You're, Commutation. You're good. Commutation, which is the action or process of commuting Becoming communist. A, commuting a judicial <laughs> sentence. So, in other words, reducing his sentence. Correct. No. Or setting him free. Yep. Setting him free. So relieving him of the her of the sentence. Well, right. time time served. Gotcha. But, but basically, see. the the tradition for presidents leaving office is to to uh, I don't know. And effectively, I don't know how effectively started, issue him a pardon. Yeah. yeah, basically it's a part, and they, they, they let people out of jail that they think have, have paid their debt to society. Hey, and the, the, the president can do that for, I mean, not for anybody. Every, for anyone. For, for anyone for in any. the U.S., obviously, right? The Any, president can do what they want. In terms of uh, yes. convicted people of a crime, whether federal or not, right, can pardon. If, effectively, I think you could uh, uh, petition the president to commute your parking tickets if you really wanted. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, that was I, a good I, use I, of, I the, under, of the word. I understand that I had to see someone use it in a sentence. <laughs> I, I, I understand from my reading that the president in the last three to six months of his, ter uh, of his uh, tenure uh, gets deluged mm -hmm. with 
yep. uh, commutation right. request. Because he's like, I'm out. <coughs> Drop the mic. Yep. All you bitches so, free. <laughs> so Edward Snowden, your favorite person, Jeff, um, has on Twitter encouraged the president to commute. 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 Just commute. like you do when Which you get in your car and you go to travel to Chelsea Manning. <laughs> is that right? That is right. So what do you know about Chelsea Manning, Paul? Who is Chelsea Manning? Well, I think when it, she was Bradley Manning uh, is accused of leaking military secrets to WikiLeaks. For so, I can remember from that story. Yeah, I only know because I saw a news piece on this last <laughs> night. Gotcha. I, I don't. I don't look. I, I have to weigh in on this as the token Australian as well, uh, being that Julian Assange is Australian. I don't support what he's doing, and I think WikiLeaks is um, somewhat irresponsible, to be honest. Um, so the leaks that are going there um, certainly are feeding a market. They're feeding a social media market, um, and th there are s a, a portion of it, in my opinion, is healthy. But there is certain level of irresponsibility that I cannot support and get behind. That's correct. And who do you, you know, how do you put that responsibility on essentially rogue third parties that are coming in contact with information and making the decision as to whether or not that information becomes public? And exactly. is that, it, it's up to them now once they possess that information, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and what are the repercussions uh, to that, which make it very, very scary. I, I agree with you, Joff. I think some of the information is beneficial to the public and beneficial to our rights and privacy or whatever and when it becomes public. However, which of that information is very harmful to people in the field, people trying to protect this country, uh, and things of that nature, military operations... Right. That, that's right. That's the crux of the issue, uh, and why large, a lot of us take it, take issue uh, with that is mm -hmm. that that whole process of yeah. So, so, so putting the Australian hat on for a minute, what what a lot of people don't realize is there is that or, the one with the flap up on the one side? Yeah, it's one with the flap up on the side. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was a, a knife. People, was it a Bowie knife? You're gonna adorn your your Bowie? Oh, that's a knife. Yeah, gonna, that's gonna, a knife. Pull out my Bowie knife. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what a, a lot of people don't realize is Australia is a is somewhat of a cultural bubble. It's a beautiful place. It's 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 isolationist in that Australia does not have to deal with many of the world problems that the northern <laughs> hemisphere has to work with. And in that context, um, I think uh, uh, Julian Assange uh, is while while an intelligent man is operating in a semi-naive fashion. And uh, by doing that, um, it is not really... It, it, it's, it's sensationalist in many ways, but not really taking into account the responsibility aspect. I mean, that's, that's basically my opinion. And I, th I think it's informed by his cultural background and his, his uh, you know, his citizenship... Uh, and, and understandably so. I mean, I, I have a, you know, certainly a deep understanding of of how Australia views the world, and it certainly is an isolationist view in many ways, and it's 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 somewhat naive. And and you know, unfortunately, Julian sort of falls into that 
that viewpoint, I think, and, and it disappoints me the the amount of press that it's gotten. But couldn't you say the much much the same thing about Snowden? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what Snowden's cultural ethnic background is. I mean, American, obviously, but American. I don't know. Uh, uh, say that again, Jeff. American. American, yeah. American. Um, but certainly he's probably been influenced by these sorts of things uh, that, that drive him um, to, to, to reveal information that's um, maybe not such a smart idea. Uh, it really depends on how much you buy into, you know, who's right, okay? It gets very deep because um, from a naive perspective, uh, you know, people people have to think that everything should be published, you know, and, and that I think that's certainly a very Australian cultural viewpoint, not, not, not um, I wouldn't say universally, there's certainly Australian intelligence services and other people that are in the know that would not hold that viewpoint, but... Um, as a general run-of-the-mill citizen in Australia, I think that's, that's an open society is definitely in Australia's viewpoint, and I think Julian sort of plays into that cultural facet, uh, you know, very, very uh, uniformly uh, in line with with his with his upbringing and his culture. Um, but unfortunately, it does not suit uh, the the politics of the Northern Hemisphere, and so, and does not necessarily suit the politics of of the United States. Next up on On the Hook, we talk about the Russians hacking the U.S. election. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, you guys like, think that I'm like off the planet right now, but... Well, no, no, but, no, no. You know, the, the news <laughs> in the last day or two has been this two-page dossier that, that has apparently been around for months, and nobody knew what to do with it that's from supposedly, was it, a former, former British Secret Service special spy James Bond agent that had information and, you know, was it BuzzFeed that eventually decided to publish it? But I'm thinking, well, what if it had come out over WikiLeaks? Because, you know, certain people in the political Uh, realm seem to think more highly of WikiLeaks and and are bashing BuzzFeed for their irresponsible, you know, this is not confirmed information. And and it's become kind of a, well, it's it's a freaking mess is what it is. I think it opens up the question. Dossier, a collection of documents about a particular person, <laughs> event, or subject, just for those in my, <sighs> my camp. <laughs> just kidding. So let me, let, me, let me interject real quick, um, because I, I heard something there um, about some, some dossiers and, and so forth. But what's the difference between um, a garbanzo bean and a chickpea? <laughs> I mean, seriously, do you know? I mean, I've, I mean, I've never heard a gar- garbanzo uh, bean in my sure bed. I'm pretty sure garbanzo is just Spanish for chick. No, no. I've ne- <laughs> uh, well, I've never had a garbanzo bean in my bed. But you've had a chick. Uh- he got me with that. Did you see what he did there? Yep. Yeah. Speak, yeah. Speaking of said no, dossiers. I, I, think, about, I think everything that's happening publicly in social media right now is sort of opening up that question of whether we should de- depoliticize information categorization and information intelligence. And if we, you know, if we should continue to flatten and publish openly and transparently uh, um, the, the the things that are happening in the world, and it's certainly a question to be asked. Um, 
I, I don't think it's a question that's going to be answered because, mm-hmm. you know, every country on this planet has an intelligence community and has a program and have their reasons to classify information and, and, and withhold it and keep it to themselves. Uh, and, and those reasons are geopolitical reasons that, that, that do matter for the safety of citizens, no matter what country you're living in. Larry, uh, Larry. I almost read that as celebrities, but Celebrite uh, yeah. has been hacked. Well, you know how many times it autocorrected to celebrity? I, 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 you know how many times I, I looked at that your stories and said I wish it was celebrities? Because when celebrities get hacked, it makes for and, great and, fodder for and the show. 900 gigs of cel- re- celebrity data? Celebrity it would be yeah. awesome to talk about. Well, Bad for celebrities like to go <laughs> way too serious for this show right now, so I'll stop talking. Yeah. In, in any case, it may end up being a lot of celebrities. Because um, apparently a, uh, a hacker, it's an ongoing investigation from Celebrate, apparently. But uh, uh, Celebrate had uh, got hacked and apparently had 900 gigs of data exfilled, um, including all sorts of stuff about you know what people owned, what phones, uh, images, um, emails, SMS data from captured devices, which customers were capturing from which devices. Crazy, crazy amounts of stuff. And if you think about this, like the types of Folks that use Cellbrite, I, I can think of at least one or more law enforcement agencies that use Cellbrite to start doing some of the stuff. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Um, but this would have been a great question for Leslie that she probably couldn't have answered. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, and yep. then Larry, you had on there uh, smart meters. Yeah, so, of course, my browser's being completely bad. Um, but there was a talk at, what, 33C3, um, right after Christmas in uh, Germany, um, about a gentleman who basically got up on stage and said, hey, the this whole thing with the, the smart energy and smart meters and stuff, this is really bad um, because there's, oh my, oh, my God, hacks against smart meters and basically dropped... To the best of our knowledge, a whole bunch of FUD. Hmm. Um, Interesting. I thought you were going to say O'Day, but I no, kind of had a dropped feeling a whole you were going to say FUD. A yeah. whole bunch of FUD. But, you know, one of the things that he was saying, like, oh, my God, you know, people can hack into your smart meter and turn it into a bomb. Mm, okay, Which, how exactly? Exactly. And he was, he, yeah, he, he was very adamant about it. Um, and that, you know, this is good, this is going to be a bad thing. And, um from what we sort of got out of that, or I got out of that, and I have yet to watch the video. I've only taken the, quote, circumstantial evidence that he was way off base about some of the things that he was saying, you know, talking about, you know, making a meter explode um, by modifying the software run on the de- running on the device. Mm, melt, maybe. I would, I would even argue not even melt. Yes, because there's usually hardware, like with printers, hardware protections that prevent hardware them from melting. Protections, yep. right? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, he do fault typically faulty installation, physical installation as opposed to software, um, and yeah, he basically he was saying that he stated a, the the large part of it was that he stated a lot of things that were highly inaccurate. Mm. And if there were any accuracy to it, he was completely twisting it to his own will, which was complete crap. Hmm. 
In other words, it was it was a presentation uh, driven towards. Uh, you know, sensationalism and uh, gaining yes. the microphone, so to speak. Right, and and arguably he got his. He's getting his day in court, right? Because we're talking about the story on the show, and uh, you know, giving him his quote lip service. All press is good press. Yeah, all press is good press. And uh, yeah, I think, I that think many the metaphor were you're that. looking for is the 15 minutes of fame. Yes. <laughs> now that now, that's, <laughs> now that said, in this case, <laughs> in this case, all press is, press. Case, all press is bad Googling press. Metaphor. Yep. No. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, all press being, or bad press being, or all press press being press, and bad press being good press, and, and all the type of stuff. I mean, this could potentially have you ruined this guy's career. Oh, this it could. Guy. I mean, you have to be careful. All yep. press is not always good press, right? I mean, you um, t- tell me where Tracer, the Tracer T guy, is right now. I mean, <laughs> he's he he went places clearly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I I don't, yeah. Yeah, potentially damaging. This would not be. This would not be the career path that I would choose. Um, so, so the security community, I think, in general, is kind of unforgiving in that respect. Yes, we we demand excellence and we expect people to produce, and uh, if they don't, we kind of ignore them. Hey, Jeff, I gotta ask. So, uh, Luke Baggett, is that any relation to Mark or no? Uh, Luke Baggett is certainly. Uh, Related to Mark, and he would be Mark's son. Really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, sir. And, and Luke works for Black Hills? Luke is has interned for us for some time and uh, okay. does various tasks as assigned, so yes. Um, I was always so excited when he hears that hackers have procreated. That's right. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, that's certainly the case. Luke is a very, very... Uh, smart young man, and we enjoy working with him. And, and he wrote a fantastic article, um, which, in, in fact, I had a chance to, to read and dig into on uh, PowerShell DNS command and control. And he created, uh, in fact, uh, a PowerShell uh, module that allows you to do uh, command and control over DNS via PowerShell, sure. uh, which I thought was really cool, and even extended it to some other features that mm-hmm. uh, are inside of PowerShell. Wrote a great post on blackhillsinfosec.com which you can find link to uh, in the wiki. Uh, Joff, I don't know if you're familiar since you work at the same organization as, uh, as Luke with uh, with this post or any of the, the technical details. Yeah, well, I, I have not actually read the post, sadly, uh, because I've been very heavily in, uh, involved in a lot of mobile application testing lately. Um, but uh, um, the the fact that it exists uh, in such detail does not surprise me at all. Luke is Luke is a really hard worker and and a, just a really smart guy. So I, I'm you know I'm you know all, hats off basically. Uh, I think Luke Luke's great. He's got a good future. Yeah, and, and what I I thought was interesting too was um, built into the code is the ability. And I'm not sure if this uh, also existed in Ron Bow's uh, original library as well. Uh, to basically vary both the size and type of your DNS uh, queries that allow you to avoid detection. I mean, not specifically, right. but uh, right. you know, attempt to evade detection. I'm sure if people put their minds, I don't so remember. They, yeah, I don't do that. Remember. But um, so I thought it was really cool. It's a great post. Make no, sure I think I think DNS DNS. By the way, DNS is a uh, uh, exfiltration channel, is command and control channel, is really a fantastic vector. I mean. I mean, how many organizations are going to stop DNS? Uh, let's think about that. Zero. Uh, or no. even, but even monitor and analyzing DNS mm-hmm. 
is tricky. And you have to specifically, um, in various because our, our our software uh, does is actually OCM uh, does that statistical analysis of looking at like host to DNS ratios and uh, queries of certain types or to certain servers that are greater in number than your typical DNS query has always been one yeah, way I, to, to do that. But actually to put that in an enterprise context and be able to monitor that um, is certainly something you have to specifically set out to do or have software that lets you do that easily. Yeah, by the way, I wrote the prototype of that code. Um, and uh, what we do is uh, we count DNS queries on a peer station basis. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the way to, to look at DNS con uh, command channels is to use a, a heuristic statistical kind of approach where you, you count queries across the enterprise and you compare the peer stations to each other. And then you just do basic stats, you know, max, min, mean, median. And then if anybody has a query type that, that, that differs from two standard deviations, then they um, clearly are an outlier and you flag them, right? Um, and that that's, I wrote that prototype code uh, that the guys are using, but um, and mine was a uh, slow running Python script, but you know, their stuff is uh, much more sophisticated, obviously. Um, but, you know, that the heuristics is, is the way to look at it. You, you can't, uh, you can't do it based on content anymore because it's very easy. Like, let's say you use uh, you use like DNS ID and you do like some sort of Blowfish or uh, AES symmetric encryption in the DNS ID field. There's no way you're going to spot that right. uh, with the data because it's, it's statistically flat by nature, um, and uh, it, the randomly cho uh, chosen DNS ID is going to be statistically flat anyway. So. Uh, you know, it's it's a wash, right? So your your only way you can you're going to look at that is is the frequency of queries, and look at the the behavior from from a statistical basis in terms of uh, quantity and and query types, and so that that's kind of where we were going with that. So and I'm sorry, I went on a tangent, but no, I, I had to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there might be a way to detect that, but I don't want to geek out on random randomization statistics. Nice. Another time. I thought he said random animization. Random. <clears throat> no, that would be what? Paul will look at that's it. A, that's yeah, one of my words. That, that, yeah. that was the name of a girlfriend I once had. She was random animization. She was awesome. I'll just say, in, in a former place of employment, there was such a thing as super random, which was more random than random. Which, uh, was, I, uh, in, which uh, was an indication that it was um, machine... Super generated or human generated rather than random yeah you're kind of talking about the orbital theories in mathematics right the, the, the random pseudo random number generators have certain behaviors yeah i don't know what i'm talking about yeah 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 okay well but enough of that enough said enough that, about enough that. that i totally get i totally get what you're talking about <laughs> uh the shadow brokers uh have essentially uh given away all of their malware most of which is actually detected by most modern av systems which is kind of funny for a lot of reasons uh one of which is when i read this i was like well what if you took some of the techniques that we talked about in our recent webcast which i think was last week um and and morphed some of these uh payloads could you bypass av probably um but they did uh, basically like drop the mic say we're retiring and here's all of our malware well, that's really cool by the way <laughs> yeah i mean yeah putting the pen test i had on it's like Wow, you just dropped out your mail. Sweet. <laughs> Let's take a look. Exactly. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm not sure why you would do that as a group, um, a hacking group. I don't know. 
maybe they're well, there might be to... a little bit of uh, bureaucratic frustration there. So they're like, "Fuck it, we're going to put it out for the world." Mm-hmm. You know, I could see it. Maybe they're fleeing the country. Could be. They, yes. Assuming they live in the U.S. Maybe. They, yeah. Maybe they're joining Snowden Inc. <laughs> wow. Snowden Inc. <laughs> Um, not, not much else in here. Oh, no, there is one more story Uh-oh. Uh, that we have to mention. The peace sign. <laughs> this headline is terrible. The peace, this must come from the register. Yes. The peace sign <laughs> selfie <laughs> fools menaced by fingerprint harvesting tech. So in other words, what this article is about is when I hold up the peace sign, everyone has my fingerprint, right? Because basically, (laughs) if you take a selfie with the peace sign up, your fingerprint is there, and they can blow up the picture and basically recreate your fingerprint. You can also probably do it with the Vulcan live long and prosper sign then, Right. Or like a a wave, maybe provided you're not moving your fingers around, like it'd be. So if you're doing a selfie, you should really just do the ultimate salute. That's yeah, right. I was about to say. I think the U.S. <laughs> had it right all along. Turn it maybe around. Maybe the new baby. peace sign needs, needs to be this way. It needs to be this way, so we don't give up our fingerprints. That's what I was advocating. That means something and completely different, Paul. Google it. In or the, it's like the, the the yeah the. The, the this, what? this one. The rocker, yeah. the, the uh, shocker, yeah, the spocker. Like, yeah. there, there's an old movie. It might have been from before you were born, Paul. I don't know. It was from the 80s, I think. I want to well, say the movie. No, I was born in the 80s. I was born before the 80s, actually. I want to say the movie is called Malibu Express. I'm making Google it or IMDb it. But in it, there's a character that knows like 50 different ways to flip off people you know, in, in terms of sign language. You're based on different nationalities. It's kind. Of, it's kind of. That's probably the only redeeming part of that movie. Somebody should go. So it. again, being the token dual national, uh, in Australia, <laughs> if you do this, you're okay. Even though people can now get your fingerprints, but if you turn around and do this, that's no different than this in the U.S. So interesting. Um, I and former, I former president, former president uh, George Bush actually went to Melbourne. I don't remember the particular date, and he did this. Junior or senior? uh, That would be junior. Gotcha. And um, it was not received in a positive light. I can't imagine why. Yeah. Well, now that we've talked about hand gestures and really nothing about... (laughs) Seeing hand gestures uh, and Did you take that question to get citizenship, the test to get citizenship, or just a green card? Uh, No, no, the the, uh, civics test was taken to obtain citizenship. Yeah. Um, the green card was purely a paperwork exercise. Um, it was an extensive paperwork exercise, but um, so how many people are in Congress? Uh, Four hundred and well, thirty-five, I think. We'll go with that. That's about, We're going with that was about right, and of course, there's a hundred in the Senate. But um, so yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. It was uh, interesting to have to go through it. My kids, and this is years ago now, but my kids enjoyed it immensely because they were at that time in school where they were taking civics as well. So they oh, got the quiz. They were, they were quizzing dad. Oh, yeah. Dad was getting it wrong. <laughs> no, dad. It's wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, that was the last one. That I, oh, other than there's bugs in Adobe Flash. Uh, <laughs> Not new. Really? Not I was surprised. just like that was more speaking of nostalgia. Like that was more of my nostalgic. Like oh, there's still, uh, you know, we think about how we've talked about Adobe Flash bugs since episode 
one or two, and here we are in episode 496, and there's still remotely exploitable bugs in Adobe Flash. Yeah, four, 496. Yeah. Wow. Get my, Outstanding. Get my it's also the number of, Oak of bugs in Flash per year on average. Yeah, four, 400 Oak Street. Yeah, I drive my car on the driveway on Sundays. Yeah, so I, mean, I, think, I think any of us that give InfoSec presentations <laughs> should just start opening up with the line, Adobe, the gift that keeps on giving. It does. Every time. You well, know, in um, the um, Microsoft Edge browser, which is just atrocious to use. I don't know how anyone uses that browser, to be honest. Yeah, well, they, they do. They use it to download Chrome or Firefox. Mm-hmm. That's about what I use it for. Um, <laughs> apparently, Flash content now will be uh, click to load. Because that's going to stop people from loading flash content. Yeah, I can't even say that one straight be, face. You have to want to be hacked. Why, why is this not loading? Click. Oh, hey, look, there it is. Hey, look, I'm, I'm pwned. That's great. Don't click shit, but you have to click shit. To watch the uh, cat video or whatever. We were talking about those ridiculous videos where people like wrap up an avocado and give it to their kid for Christmas, and they start crying, which I just think is just so wrong. It's well, mean. I mean, let, let, let's face it. People are going to either browse kittens on the internet or look at Trump tweets, and that's really going to be about it. So, Click to load. Click to load. <laughs> I yeah. kind of wish we'd all refuse to look at Trump tweets, but that's just me. <laughs> wow. I think we just went. <laughs> I think we all know what most people look at on the internet, and it's definitely and not, it's not Trump, Trump tweets. tweets. <laughs> it's related to kittens, it maybe it may be Melania Trump, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> oh, wow! Oh, wow! Ooh, Ivanka! Ooh, Ooh Ivanka! Too. <laughs> oh boy! Well, that concludes this edition of Paul Security Weekly. Thanks everyone for tuning in, Larry. Take us out. Over. And. Out? <laughs> <laughs>